retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and miss out on so many of life's experiences along the way. There's got to be a better way. David Adams is a certified financial planner and CPA and founder of David Adams Wealth Group, an independent firm that offers securities through Raymond James Financial Services and is here to help you learn how to retire while you work and develop a different way of thinking when it comes to managing your money. Hello, welcome. I'm your host, David Adams, and this is Retire While You Work. And you can hear us every Sunday on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Thanks for tuning in. You can also go to retirewhileyouwork.com and submit to us your question. We'd love to answer it on the air. And in our next segment, we're going to answer some of your questions. So give us a call at 615-435-3644. I'm excited that we have a special guest today from our office, Siobhan Farler. Hello, Siobhan. Hey, David. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. Siobhan is a wealth advisor on our team. And in our last segment, she's going to discuss women in the financial planning industry. Definitely something that I cannot talk about from experience, (laughs) but very important. And she's been a huge asset to our team. So you won't want to miss that. That's in our last segment. So let's go ahead and jump right into the show. Now, everyone out there is wondering about having kids and how much it'll cost you. We get that question in our office at least three times a week, I'd say. And not emotionally. I'm talking about financially. Emotionally, that'd be an entirely different segment or show. Um, So let's talk about the financial part at least today. Now, first of all, we know that children can factor into a retire-while-you-work framework. And what I mean by that is... Our lives are often dictated by our kids' schedules and needs. Siobhan, is that true? (laughs) Absolutely. They completely dictate the schedule and needs and everything revolves around them. So I guess sometimes it goes without saying that self-care and travel can be a secondary priority. Yes, it's something that you and I talk about frequently is about how to balance taking care of your children, taking care of you, and taking care of your retirement needs at the same time. Absolutely. Well, and planning for the cost and being proactive can really uh, help manage these little investments. I guess we can call our children little investments, right? Hopefully. Hopefully they'll take care of us when we get older There's as well. There's a return on so, investment yes. at some point. Now, according to the latest figures from the Department of Agriculture, raising a child from birth through adulthood will set you back, get ready for this, $233,610. Gulp. That's a lot. (laughs) Big gulp. I know. That's very daunting. And new data actually shows that helping to raise a grandchild could be just as expensive. And, you know, grandparents report that they spend on average about $2,400 each year specifically to benefit their grandkids. And according to even new data, I think it was from TD Ameritrade, that, uh, more, there are more expected um, gifts from grandparents or toys and outings, as well as college savings, but also extracurricular lessons, school supplies, and even an allowance. And I know this is something in our retirement projections in the office when we're going through budgets with a lot of our retired clients. We talk about this. It's often overlooked, and grandparents love to spoil those kids. I know my parents do. My goodness, if you're in our, in our house over Christmas, I have never seen so many toys. And that's just from the grandparents. Yes. <laughs> now... The TD Ameritrade survey conducted in October polled, I think it was like a thousand millennial parents and a thousand grandparents with millennial children. So money isn't grandparents' only investment. More than half of millennial parents actually said that parents provide at least an hour of help each week on average of child of childcare running the household with the average grandparent, I'm sorry, the grandparent, with the average grandparent spending 48 hours a week on tasks that are specifically related to primary childcare. 
babysitting, homework, and transportation to after-school activities. So grandparenting is becoming a big part of retirement. Yes, my mother and father are huge assets to helping manage our schedule and doing those exact things that you were mentioning about toting the childs around to all their extracurricular activities, picking them up from school. Exactly. Right. And, and, and on that note, parents estimate that the value of grandparents' hours and the work that they help with support an average of about $300 a week. So assuming that job doesn't come with a built-in vacation, that could help amount to as much as over $15,000 a year from the grandparents helping out. So that's very important as we look at financial planning. Now, I'd say this isn't a case of the millennials being ill-equipped financially to have children. Really, according to that study that we read, millennials are waiting until they're a lot more now until they're financially secure to have kids and far more than I'd say that their parents' generation did. But the cost to raise a child weigh very heavily on this generation of millennials, especially when they're facing the challenges of mounting student loan debt and stagnant wages. We've seen wages in this country pretty stagnant for a while, and it's no surprise that student loan debt continues to go up. In fact, we had a guest, Karen Feemster, on a few weeks ago talking about student loan debt and ways to kind of help alleviate that, um, and that, as that's a growing problem. Now, about a quarter of millennial parents receiving hourly support from their parents, and 18% of those receiving financial support say that they couldn't afford their current lifestyle without that help from the grandparents. So something very interesting. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, and we're talking about what it costs to be a parent and a grandparent. We all know it's expensive, but so many grandparents, especially those who are retired, would be happier if they would help with the grandkids. There's a lot of happiness and fulfillment that comes from helping with the grandkids. Now, it's not that the kids are begging for the help. Grandparents are over, overwhelmingly happy to step in. I know it's uh, for my parents, it's one of the best parts of their week when they call me and tell me that they're babysitting my niece and nephew, Bailey and Banks. But in this latest, again, it was a TD Ameritrade survey that we're referencing, 40% said if their adult child didn't ask for support, they were actually the ones that were, were there to offer it. And 43% said that they help because guess what? It makes them happy. And that's what this show is about, is finding ways to make yourself happy and provide that balance outside of just financial planning, holistic financial planning and moderation and life balance. And according to financial expert Wes Moss, spending time with grandkids is one of the things that makes retirees happiest and provides purpose. So we had a whole show talking about those things that make retirees the most happy. And again, taking care of the grandkids is one of the top on the list. So keep that in mind. Now, I want to stress this. If you're if you're hoping to assist your kids and your grandkids, it's very important to get your own financial plan in order first. So think about how that outlay of time or money could affect your ability to meet your own financial goals, whether that's exploring that on-course secondary career or traveling. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk a little bit more about raising your kids and grandkids, not raising them, but providing for them. This is Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Back in a few. Hello, and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And just before the break, we were talking about the cost, the overwhelming cost of raising children and also as grandparents raising your grandkids or providing for them and enjoying them. And I was talking about, and this is a point that I want to stress again, if, if you enjoy and you're hoping to assist your kids and your grandkids, it's very important 
to get your own financial plan in order first. Absolutely. So think about how that outlay of time or money could really affect your ability to meet your own goals. So set your retirement goals and your personal budget first, but definitely if you find fulfillment from providing for the kids and or for the grandkids as grandparents in retirement, it's very important. Now, even if it is your grandchild, you cannot escape the fact that watching your grandkids is still work. Nearly half of the grandparents in that TD Ameritrade survey said that they had to make at least at least one compromise to, to, to be able to provide that time or money support for their grandkids. And more than 25% actually had to dip into their savings, while 15% said they spend less time enjoying life. And 8% have actually postponed retirement. So fortunately, those numbers are fairly low, but definitely something you need to consider. And we talk about in our office all the time with our retired clients, many times want to enjoy their grandkids, take them on trips, give them gifts, help with their college planning. I encourage you to do it, but make sure that it fits into your financial plan. So even if you are willing to make such such compromises, make sure that you uh, that providing the help won't put you at risk of needing financial support down the road. And what I mean by that is, do you want to spoil your grandkids rotten at the expense of running out of money at 80? Rule number one in our business is, Never outlive your money. So when we're doing a financial plan, as much as people like to talk about the portfolio and returns and the market and Trump and that sort of thing, it's really all about not running out of money. So we have to put this in perspective. So think about the best tools to help based on your ultimate aim, and that may not be handling your adult children's cash. Contribute to a 529 plan. That could really help you maybe snag a tax break, for example, while direct payments to a medical provider to cover health expenses are actually exempt from gift taxes. So these are ways that grandparents can actually help their kids and do it in a tax-friendly way by adding money to the 529 for college, or if you want to help your kids provide health expenses for their kids, make that check out to the actual health institution. So whatever you decide to do to help, it's very imperative to create an open dialogue with your children. And that way, there's clarity on what the expectations are. It's very important in any aspect of life. So I'd hate to see money or good intentions tear a family apart. We've seen some very uh, delicate situations in our office. And usually just having these conversations and being transparent can absolutely help. And by offering that open dialogue, it will ensure that the whole family benefits from your help and also manages everyone's expectations. So lots to consider, and I hope this helps. Do not get overwhelmed with the $233,000 figure we threw out. It's just part of good planning. That so. was very informative. Thank you. Like, I'm, So you're not overwhelmed? No, because I have my parents <laughs> to be helping out with my children. So That's good. As long as they are doing their part and doing um, having an incredible financial plan, I'm not worried about it. Well, good. Well, good. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And throughout the week, we actually get quite a few questions from you, our listeners, and um, questions from actual client meetings. And we like to do this segment on our top most compelling questions from the week. And so hopefully that's some of these questions you can relate to. And by all means, go to our website, retirewhileyouwork.com, and click the Contact Us button. Send us your question. We'll do our best to answer it on next week's show. So, Siobhan, did we get any good questions this week? We got some great questions this week that I think will really help a lot of the listeners that are out there. Awesome. The first one was from this client who says she's sitting on some extra cash in the bank, and it's obviously not earning anything with the current interest rates. Right. But she's going to need this money in the next six months or so for a down payment for a house. And she's asking, should she invest this money, or should she leave it in cash because she's going to need it in a short time frame? Okay. 
Great question. I think we had that in the office just the other day. I'm we thinking did. of a meeting this came up. So let me first say, I'd, I'd say leave it in cash. Um, well, in the in savings at the bank. That's what I mean by cash. And don't worry about the returns. Six months is way too little, in my opinion, of a time frame to take risk in the stock market. Now, many may encourage you to look at fixed income and but the last few months is another reason I'd say to leave it in savings. As the Fed went in and raised interest rates, bonds actually got hit fairly hard. And if this was your six-month money, then it would have actually affected you. So, you know, I usually tell people, and I know, Siobhan, we do all the time, if you're investing in equities, you really want to have at least a five-year time frame. Because yes. historically, most five-year periods, they give you that time to recover from any big market pullback. So think like in 2008, you know, maybe it took, maybe it took you three to four years to break even, but certainly on money that you're going to use in the next six months, keep it uh, keep it in something very stable. Now, I'll say this: sometimes if you are saving for a down payment that's coming up, maybe in the next I don't know two to three years, you know I think it'd be suitable to consider doing a conservative portfolio. Maybe that's 50% equity, 50% fixed income, so moderate risk, and that way you have at least a fighting chance at getting some type of return greater than just cash or savings in the bank and. We always say in our office, Siobhan, it's all about the buckets. Yes, yes. I always talk about buckets in every meeting, whether a client comes in with $10 million or $10,000. And we could do a whole show on the buckets, but we talk about three buckets of money and how and the, while planning is paramount in these situations. So if you're just tuning in, that was a great question. I like that question. You're listening to Retire While You Work, and we're answering your questions from the week. And you can submit yours at retirewhileyouwork.com. We'd love to hear your question, and we'll do our best to answer it and next week's segment. So, Siobhan, do we have another question? Yes, and this actually correlates a little bit with what you were talking about earlier in the show. It's from a young couple who just had their first child, and now they're starting to think about life insurance. They currently have about a one-time income benefit from their employer, so they get a little okay. bit of life insurance yep, from their employer. Pretty common. But do they need more, and what type of coverage should they even get if something was to happen to them? Okay. So good question. So they just had their first child and they've got kind of a standard. Um, so let's say they're making $50,000. They've got a $50,000 life insurance policy. Okay. So I will say this topic is subjective in many ways. And, you know, a life insurance salesperson, no offense, may tell you that they need quite a bit more than I may tell you here in my opinion, but it's really about peace of mind. And here's how I approach this. So first of all, I would tell somebody to add up all of your debts. So for example, let's say you owe $500,000 on your house and you have $50,000 in student loans. We know we at least want to have $550,000 of maybe a term life insurance policy. Then I also like to tack onto that maybe five times your income um, in addition. So if you make a hundred, well, let's say um, you make, well, let's say you make $100,000 a year. So you'd want to have $500,000 um, to equal equal five times your income, and then that other $550,000 to pay off the house and for the student loan debt. So, so about a million dollars. So you're basically saying they need to have enough to pay off their debts and replenish some income. Absolutely. So really, the question you have to ask yourself is this. If I died, would I want, you know, would I want my spouse and family to not be burdened and to be able to have no debt? And the answer is usually yes. So what does that take? So, you know, God forbid something happened to you, Siobhan, you'd want your husband, Daryl, to be able to pay off the house, to be able to have, um, any, if there was any student loan debts, to be able to knock that out, and also to have some extra money that represents your income to help. Maybe it's to, to be used to pr provide for 
uh, Clark and Bristol's college to go ahead and knock some of those things out right. so that that pressure is not on him as he's going to, you know, to a single income. Right. So that makes important. total sense. Now, some people would look at this situation I just painted and say, you should have $2 million or $3 million, and you can certainly go up to any amount. But when I look at insurance, I think you want it really just to cover the risk and to think about it, not how much can I afford to get, but what's the lowest amount that I need that's a reasonable payment that I can afford, the, known as the premium, mm-hmm. and cover and make sure my family is taken care of. So that's the way I'd answer this question. Now, as I mentioned, also consider adding the cost to college. I think a lot of people don't think about that. And then you also got to look at things like your health and the cost of insurance. So I always run a pro and a con list, and together we really come up with a good solution each time. So life insurance is definitely a question uh, we get in our office quite a bit. It is a good foundational part of any financial plan. Same way when you're looking at doing a will, have an emergency fund in the bank, you definitely want to look at life insurance because um, usually your employer is not providing this. And if they are, it's not going to meet those uh, those needs we talked about. Well, we're about to go to our next break. You've been listening to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams. This is News Radio 1510 WLAC. And when we come back, we've got a few more of your questions throughout the week. Looking forward to it. Back in a few. Hello and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And just before the break, we were actually taking your questions that we receive in our office throughout the week and on our website at retirewhileyouwork.com. So be sure to go on there after listening today, submit your question, go to the contact page, and we will do our best to answer it next week or shoot you an email back with the answer to your question. So, Siobhan, those are some great questions on life insurance and do we pay off a house or do we put money in the market or in a savings account? Yes. What's next on the docket? So this next question is about municipal bonds. And the, the client was asking, at what tax rate does it make sense for an investor to even consider those bonds? Okay, great. A lot of differing opinions we get on this question. You hear, you'll hear a lot of different things if you ask three different people. I'll always start by saying, it depends. That's my generic compliance-friendly answer. That's a perfect answer. Siobhan, that'll make the people (laughs) smile back in Tampa at the Raymond James home office. No, but it really does depend. I mean, it's it's very uh, client-specific. But again, differing opinions in the financial planning community. No way. That never happens. We all agree, right? It's all cookie cutter, right? None of us are type A's or opinionated. I find that very hard to believe that anybody would disagree with what I'm about to say. Just kidding. Absolutely just kidding. But now, I will say this. Typically, tax-free investments are for the higher tax bracket. So, you know, think that that 35 or that 39.6% rate as how is actually how they stand right now, I believe. And of course, this may change in 2017. Now, why do I say it applies to the higher tax brackets? Well, if you could go and let's say get a 5% CD, Oh my gosh! Remember those dinosaurs? Yes. They're the bank and get five percent. Yes, I remember seeing those chalkboard signs advertising those at the bank it with the high chills. <laughs> How many happy clients we would have? Well, okay. So if you could get that five percent, um, you know, fixed income rate, now you'd have to pay taxes on that. So let's say if you're in that almost forty percent tax bracket, you're only going to net maybe around three percent. So that's what's called your tax equivalent yield. So even though you're getting five percent after taxes, you're really only netting. Now, stay with me here. If you could go and get 4% on a tax-free investment, 
Well, now your tax equivalent yield is actually 4%. Why? It's tax-free. You're not paying any taxes on it because it's a tax-free bond. You're actually better off in this case going with the 4% bond or investment, which is so many times people overlook because they're not thinking about taxes. So um, that's just something to look at. Now, let me say this. If it's an IRA or a 401k, so this would be your retirement account, everything in those accounts as it comes out is taxed the same at your ordinary income tax rate. So in that case, it doesn't matter inside of an IRA or a 401k because you're going to pay taxes, whether it's a tax-free bond or a taxable bond. So there's really no reason or very few reasons why you'd ever run want to own one of these tax-free investments um, in a retirement account, you would want to do this inside of your taxable accounts or your, what we call our bucket two, bucket two. your non-retirement account. So a taxable account. And that's, again, bucket two. And if you're, if you're in a high tax bracket or if you're just flat out sensitive to taxes, a lot of times a tax-free investment is something to consider. Now, I know I cry about them yearly, but I'm going <laughs> to digress as I always tell my clients, it's better to have earnings to pay taxes on than to have than to have nothing to pay taxes on. So we get upset and we cry about taxes all the time, but it's always a good problem in this country if you have the income to be fortunate enough to pay taxes on. So quit whining, me included. Let's all be thankful <laughs> and keep trying to retire while you work. After all, that's why we do this show. And if you were just tuning in, we just answered a question about municipal bonds and tax-free investments, and we're answering your questions we receive throughout the week, please submit yours at retirewhileyouwork.com. We'd love to get to it. And Siobhan, my guess is, do we have another question? We do, and we actually get this question quite frequently. Uh, this particular uh, email question comes from a, um, a client that is 52 years old and saying that they need to make a withdrawal from their 401k. But because they're younger than 59 and a half, they know that they'll have the 10% penalty and need to have taxes on the withdrawal. So they're asking, when and what time frame are they required to pay that 10% penalty in taxes? Do they pay it at the time of withdrawal or when they file their taxes? Okay. Okay. So a lot of meat to this question. Yes. So they're younger. So there's this magic age of 59 and a half. Don't ask me where the IRS gets these numbers. Thank you, the government. <laughs> um so, yeah, so she's, I believe she's only 52. So she's looking at a penalty. If you take out money before you're 59 and a half, you have to look at taking a 10% penalty uh, per the IRS's unusual rules. Now, also, anytime you take money out of a 401k or an IRA, you have regular ordinary income taxes, as I was talking about in the last question. So basically, you're going to have to pay taxes and a 10% penalty on the total amount that you withdraw. So... So the client's being hit twice. Twice. That is absolutely right. And a lot of times people don't plan for this. So I always ask the client, Siobhan, and you've heard me say this, why must you use this bucket? What I mean by that is that whatever money you need, let's say you need $20,000 to pay off a student loan or to put a deck on the house, is this the only option? Are there not any other buckets of money that we can pull from? And now sometimes life happens and there is no and there should be no shame because we can't take all the money with us. I recognize that if life happens and you need the money, and it so happens that the only place that you can access uh, money that's liquid is in your 401k or IRA, by all means, you have to do it. And our job as advisors is just to help you plan for it and not generate any taxes or penalties that you could otherwise avoid. So definitely check for other options. There are certainly three or four that will come up within a meeting, and a lot of times we'll find a better solution. 
So it sounds like you're mentioning about doing more of the bucket strategy again. Yeah, right. That's why, you know, in a perfect world, we have money sitting in cash in an emergency fund. Maybe they've got uh, money in some type of investments that are non-retirement, that are just in a regular investment account. I would rather them tap into those accounts before they ever touch their 401k. Uh, that makes now, total sense. Now, the short answer to that question, they actually asked when would they owe the penalty and the taxes. It's not by the end of the year. It's actually by April 15th of the following year, really the tax deadline. So let's say, you know, if in January of 2017, they took $20,000 out of the 401k, we would know that there's going to be um, there's going to be taxes and there's going to be a 10% penalty, but they're not going to owe any of that until April 15th of 2018. Wow. Okay. So a lot of times, that's why some, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. The uh, the client or the listener here may may get that check from their 401k and go ahead and spend it. Really, what I would encourage them to do is take about, let's say they're in a 20% tax bracket, and that's something you could figure out with uh, me as your advisor, or your current advisor, or your CPA. And let's say they're in a 20% bracket, and we know there's a 10% penalty. Go ahead and take 30% out. So um, $6,000 out of that $20,000 example and set that aside in a savings account. Don't spend it. Don't invest it because you know you're going to owe that in April of the following year. You don't want to dig yourself in a hole. No, because you know how many times people have been come to tax time and the tax man cometh <laughs> and it's the big surprise. You owe $20,000. Uh-oh, I don't Uh-oh. have it. Now you're digging back into that retirement account to pay taxes on the taxes and you see so if you I'm know you have this. to do it, let's go ahead and plan for it. Planning is always key. So absolutely. So, um, you know, in that example, again, take out the $20,000, put $6,000 in savings, maybe even set up, I like doing this, have a little separate savings account at your bank and call it your tax bucket. That's if you're the nerdy organizer type that I am. And me too. (laughs) That's okay. Well, that's what we do for a living, so we can get away with it. Um, Again, if you have to do this, please don't beat yourself up. Move on, do your best. That's all we can do. I've seen too many people let this type of situation derail them from their financial plan. So don't quit. Just recover from it. You're going to have snags that happen in anything in life. If you have to pull money out of your 401k, get with your advisor. If it's the best best solution at the time, do it. And everybody gets curveballs thrown to them in life. And that's why I feel like so many times we are Dr. Phil in our office. Shemar. Yes. Have you heard me say that? I said that today, didn't I? You did. You said that today. I need to come up with a different line. Yes. Yes. <laughs> My jokes are going to lose their, their <laughs> luster. Um, now, if you're just tuning in, I am David Adams. This is Retire Way You Work. Thank you for listening. Those were our top questions of the week. And we get so many of these questions throughout the week. This is my actually my and our favorite segment is answering your questions. So we enjoy that the most. Absolutely. So send us your questions, retirewhileyouwork.com. We'd love to have them. We will answer them next week. And any question, play Stump the Chump. It's a game I actually play at one of my, uh, I speak to an investment club and they just throw out all sorts of curveballs. And I love it. It sharpens, it sharpens us at what we do. So we're about to go to our next break. Thank you for listening. When we come back, we've got a special segment with our guest here in studio, Siobhan Farler, to talk about what it's like to be a woman in the financial planning industry. You won't want to miss this. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you. Welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, and this is News Radio 1510 WLAC. 
And right before the break, we were taking some of our listeners' top questions of the week. We had some great questions this week on life insurance and tax-free bonds, paying off debt. Please send us your question. Go to retirewhileyouwork.com, click the Contact Us button, send us your question. Now, every week in our last segment, we like to bring on a special guest to hopefully discuss, discuss something that can really help you better enjoy your life. Maybe it's we had we've had a health expert talking about yes. juicing. We had, Siobhan, we had the FBI, what was that, a couple of months ago, yes. talking about cybersecurity. Such a hot topic. Estate planners. We're going to have a travel agent soon, real estate experts. But today we have our internal expert, Siobhan Farler, who is a wealth advisor in our office down there on 12th South. Siobhan's been with me for almost nine years. She sat in and probably a thousand meetings we've had with clients. Easily. At yeah. least. <laughs> at least. At least. And, you know, I wanted, I think this is a great topic. We've you know, we've had clients ask about it. There's tons of white papers and blogs being written about it, about what it's like to be a woman in the financial planning industry. Now, clearly, this is something that I can't speak to, or I can, but I'm not going to, I don't have any uh, credibility in this topic. So that's why we brought you. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And um, thank you for acknowledging that this is a, a thing in the industry that we need to kind of talk about and about female clients and female financial advisors and female wealth management advisors out there. Yeah, well, there's so. not enough of them. I think that's, um, so clearly you're a female financial planner. I know you've been licensed. Uh, you do the same thing that um, the other advisors in our office do, including myself. Why do you think that there are so few? That is a really great question. I remember reading an article by the Wall Street Journal, I think, a few years ago, talking about how there's only 23% of certified financial planners are even women. 23%? 23%. Wow. Okay, so about one out of four. Wow. One okay. out of four. That's not even a minority. I mean, that's okay. yep. smaller than a minority. The article even went on to explain that there's a reason for this. First, um, particularly women aren't going to enter in an industry where they don't see other women involved. Interesting. So, so you think this industry has a perception that it's a, a man's industry? Absolutely. A man goes in to meet with another man. So simply, we've seen in our uh, meetings, just having me present has changed the dynamic. There, it really has. The clients are more likely to bring their wives in. It's changed the, the conversation. Yep. So, And also, unfortunately, young girls aren't encouraged to learn about personal finance or careers in wealth management. I know when I was growing up, I didn't even know this career even existed. Right. So, And you were mentioning earlier about Dr. Phil and how a lot of this industry isn't just about numbers and math in the stock market. We thought we think it is coming in. We, when we're studying for the CFP and the CPA, it's all about the numbers. And when you get into, I guess it's like in any business, but certainly in this business, you sit in front of a client and you see the emotions that come out. The it's totally different. Are, what would they say? 80, um, 80% of, of personal finance, 80% is personal and only 20% is finance? Exactly. But unfortunately, the industry is marketed at being a math, stock market, numbers industry and not one being marketed as behavior, helping others. Right. And when you ask women who are in the industry, what do they like and enjoy about being in the industry? It's helping others, truly making a difference. And I know that's what I enjoy about coming in is helping, whether or not it's a wife who's lost her spouse or helping create a, a financial plan for our clients. Absolutely. No, I know you're, you're very good at that. So I got a question for you. Do you think that women look at retirement differently than men? Actually, as a client, if you're like, do they look at it differently? Yes, uh, that's a really interesting question, and especially when you approach it from the retire while you work mindset. But let's first discuss the old way that I know you've mentioned of working your whole life and then suddenly retiring. 
The biggest observation I have seen is that women end up being more fearful than men. Okay. Their body language denotes more fear like and with anxiety. The, like with the market and the risk in yes. the market. and okay. Yes. The men seem to be more relieved and relaxed. Like they don't have a care in the world now that they've retired. And this actually coincides with an MIT Age Lab analysis. Oh, yeah. We've seen. Yeah, yeah, that's a really that's a neat We've gone to several seminars about this analysis where men actually tend to think of retirement as a reward. And they look forward to pursuing leisure activities, whether or not it's sports, hanging out with their buds, whatever. And they'll pursue their favorite leisure activity. Golf, whatever. Golf, whatever it may be. In contrast, retired women will spend the majority of their time caring for others, connecting with friends. And this coincides with what you were talking about in the earlier segment, spending more time with grandkids, family. Right. They'll reconnect and do more. While the men are on the golf course being While selfish. We're not going to talk. Let's let's digress course. on that. So. Yes. <laughs> no, but you're, but you're right. I mean, so that's interesting. And I, I do remember that study with the MIT Age Lab. We were at one of the conferences, I believe, in I think it was in Nashville, our national yes. conference. And they were talking about the differences of by men and women and how they view what retirement looks like. Yes. And we had a client in our office just yesterday exactly this topic. Yes. It's a little different, but, you know, she was really looking at, you know, caring for kids and grandkids and wanting to spend time on the beach and enjoy, you know, yes. enjoy life that way and with, and ha- be able to have family come to the beach house. And he still has all these side businesses that she's wanting him to quit doing. Right. So he's still like in kind of his kind of business mode and kind of doing his hobbies, which a lot of them happen to be on the business side. And she's wanting to create experiences with, with the family. Not that men aren't wanting to do that as well, but that's, again, this is from actual studies done. So it's interesting data. Yes, yes. And I think the key part about all of this is whether you're a man or a woman, just that transition from working to retirement can be very emotionally challenging. Oh my gosh, yes. And we were, we've been discussing previously about how some clients are bored to tears after being retired for only six months and they immediately have to go back to work. I almost say that it seems like, uh, and that, again, that was really the motivation for doing the show is we've seen hundreds of people, let's just stereotype and say the, you know, the corporate executive um, been working till they're 65, 80 hours a week. Now they decide to retire. They think now I can live life. Now I can travel. And the reality is they, they don't have hobbies. They're not close with their family oftentimes. Right. And all they know and their whole identity has been tied up into their profession. You took the words out of my mouth. That is exactly what I was going to say. Good, I wanted to steal the thunder. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfectly fine. Uh, Yeah, if your whole identity is tied to that, then it makes it very difficult to transition into retirement. Versus the women typically have been caring for people as the life has gone along, whether or not it's the children or friends or whatever. So that transition for caring just never stops. They just start doing more of it. Well, I mean, and and you're like, you're in exactly what's called the sandwich generation. We talked about on past shows and we had Andrea Risk on the show where you've a lot of times looking out or taking care of your parents in different capacities and then also raising your children. And working. Yeah, Yeah. and working. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, yes, definitely. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. And I definitely, uh, I'm with you. I mean, we just, this is something we can absolutely validate just from weekly meetings. Now, so what do you think, I'm trying to think how to frame this. What do you think as financial advisors we can do to make women more comfortable or even confident in the financial planning process and more of a part of the process so that they come in the office and they feel they have a voice Right. You and I have had lots of conversations about this. Even yesterday, we talk about slowing down. You're picking on me now. I, talk, <laughs> I know I talk fast, but you have helped me with that. 
I do it too. It's it, but you have to have these accountability partners to tell you when you got to slow down. But also being aware, especially if you have both spouses present in a meeting, let her do more talking than you do. So listen to her words and observe her body language and make certain that you speak to both spouses in a meeting. If you see one that's kind of dominating the the meeting, make certain you have a few questions to ask the other spouse. What do you view about retirement? What do you want your life to look like? Well, I know that was a game changer and you always told me that. And it's not that I think a lot of times there's habit when, you know, the, the, the man, again, we're stereotyping, will walk into the office with their questions and their charts and they look at me, even if you're in the meeting, and they start asking specific questions about returns and investments. And then as advisors, we go into defense mode and we retaliate, not retaliate, but we answer those questions. When, you know, once you, you know, once I started really looking then over at the one who, let's say it was a female, that's not talking as much and is being dominated in the conversation and you watch their body language and they feel like, okay, this is over, maybe over my head or they're talking too fast or they're not even answering what really matters. This is a male ego conversation going on when really I want to know, are we going to be okay in retirement? And you're right. Once you take a break and look at the one who's not talking and you, again, you taught me a lot about this. So thank you. And say, you know, let's say, Cindy, Cindy, how are you feeling? What do you think think about about this? What do you work? Mm -hmm. What keeps you up at night? And it's amazing. It's a life changer there in, in that meeting engaging that other spouse and having those questions about what they're thinking and what they're feeling is so critical to making a woman feel more comfortable in the planning process. You and I have also talked about making certain you have room in your schedule to allow a conversation to develop. Don't, you know, have back-to-backs. Don't do the doctor's office. We see five patients, 15 minutes Because you don't know what the clients are coming in with. And once you get them to start talking and elaborating about what's going on, about their fears, about what they they want their life to look like, you want to have the time to give them the attention. That they, right. To explain what's going on. And as soon as we did that, like we noticed, see, we had a meeting this morning, we gave ourselves time and that meeting could have absolutely been a 20 minute meeting. There was only one or two things on the agenda, but we ended up talking well over an hour because he brought his uh, soon to be spouse right. into the meeting. And it was really, it was really interesting when we engaged her because um, she kind of felt like it was his meeting and he was running the And she even the started the conversation by saying this is his meeting. But then it ended, right. But then we kept probing and asking her questions to have her be involved. And that's the key part is uh, acknowledging the other person. All right. So what are what are some of the most common fears or challenges specific to women in financial planning? Well, one of them you actually mentioned earlier in the show, which is running out of money. And the second one is outliving my spouse. Uh, statistically, women outlive men. I mean, that's just kind of I well known. I'm beating up on men today. Sorry. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> you're right. That's, that's, a, that's uh, a fact. But both of these fears need to be talked about in meetings. Okay. So an advisor is missing out if they're not addressing these fears. And as clients, if your advisor is not talking about them, then you need to bring them up or come contact us at Retire While You Work. Um, nice plug. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, so, but let's address the first fear: running out of money. We can obviously run all sorts of projections and talk about how much money you need to live off monthly, but that's the number aspect. But from the emotional standpoint, talking about the the plan a little bit in each meeting, well before retirement, can ease. Right. Don't this wait anxiety. till hey, I'm about to click the button and. Retire. No, no. Yes. Talk let's, about it. For let's years. say, start talking about it ten years in advance. Three years, five yeah. years, three years, one year, so forth. So by the time retirement comes, you're just implementing the plan. 
You're not talking Absolutely. about a transition. We've got a little bit more time. What advice would you give a, uh, a couple that's meeting with a financial planner for the first time? They need to have their uh, conversation privately first about what they want their life to look like and what they're wanting to accomplish. And then talk about their fears and making certain when they talk to the planner, is this somebody that they see they can go through their whole life of all their right. transitions? The relationship. Yes, yep. the relationship is key. It's not just a money thing. It's an emotional thing to help through all the transitions. Siobhan, you are awesome and a rock star at this. You've taught me a lot and we're fortunate to have you in our office and we'll do, we'll, we'll bring this topic up in a future segment. Lots we could uh, continue with on this. So you've been listening to Retire While You Work. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, David Adams. Give us a call at the office, 615-435-3644 or visit Retire While You Work or come see us in the historic 12th South neighborhood. We'd love to talk to you, drop in the office. Again, This is David Adams. Please remember that life is short and there are many more important things to worry about than money. And we certainly hope that this show helps. Talk to you next week.